Amen. If you guys have your Bibles this evening, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 8 as we continue our study in the life of Moses. When we left off with Moses, we were right in the middle of the account when Moses is now being used by God to get his message to Pharaoh, to let the Israelites go. For the Lord has called them to freedom, yet they were in bondage to Pharaoh. Remember in this typology that we see, that Egypt and Pharaoh, they're symbolic of the world, symbolic of being in bondage to sin, having Satan as your leader. And for us, when we have Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our life, as Lord and Savior, he becomes that Passover lamb. Our sins are forgiven. And we get to leave the world and continue now growing in our Christian journey. This is what this account of redemption is all about, is about the Lord pulling his children, his chosen Israelites, out of Pharaoh and Egypt, out of their control, and taking him to the place that he promised Abraham that he would take him to. Look at the beginning of Exodus chapter 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. Now, remember, Pharaoh at this point had hardened his heart towards the Lord. And we talked about those two different types of the hardening of the heart in the Bible. When we read about Pharaoh hardening his heart, the Hebrew word that is used there has to do with that stubborn disobedience that we can have towards the Lord. But when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, he makes it firm. He confirms Pharaoh's position already. And this has been an ongoing battle where Already four plagues we read about where God every time is giving Pharaoh mercy saying, let my people go, repent, stop being evil. So now the fifth plague where God is now going to attack the Egyptians' livelihood. Their cattle, their livestock was what they lived off of. The Lord is continuing to tear down the idols of Egypt. There is an Egyptian god known as Hathor, and he was worshipped 
or she was worshipped as a mother goddess in the form of a cow. And cattle were sacred, and cows were often a symbol of fertility to the Egyptians. So the Lord is tearing down this idol right in front of the Egyptians. All their cows are dying. He's showing him that he is the only true living God. But yet we still see the stubbornness of Pharaoh. Five plagues now. And I'm reminded that sometimes God has to use radical events in a person's life to get their attention. Perhaps you've heard of the story of the man who was waiting to be rescued as there was a flood that came to his town. He went on top of his house because it was the only place he can go for safety. And he had this weird faith in the Lord that he said, okay, Lord, I know you're going to save me. And then suddenly a, a, a little boat came by, a guy on a, on, on a kayak, it was a two-seater. And he said, hey, man, get on the kayak. We, I, we could go to safety. And the guy said, no, 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 it's okay, don't worry. The Lord is going to rescue me. The kayaker is like, what? All right, keeps going. And then suddenly a, a, a bigger boat, a little canoe with a few people on it come on and they're like hey dude get off your roof jump in we're gonna go to safety and he's like oh no don't worry about me i'm gonna be taken care of uh the lord's gonna he's gonna provide for me they're like what okay he's crazy keep going and then finally a boat comes it's a lifeboat the lifeguards are on and they're like hey bro you need to get off your house and and jump in and come with us. And he's like, no, no, that's okay. Don't worry about me. The Lord is going to save me. And that very day, the man drowned. And then when he, when he got to heaven, he, he was there before the Lord. And he said, God, what, what happened? Why, why didn't you save me? And the Lord said, I sent you the canoe. I sent the, the kayak. I sent the, the lifeguard boat. And you didn't take it. You see, sometimes we think that God only works in some crazy supernatural way. And sometimes God has to use those crazy supernatural ways to get our attention. But it's because we're not discerning of the still small voice of the Lord to our hearts, our minds, the situations that we come into. So may we be discerning in verse 4, it says, And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day. And all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Wow. See, the Lord, he keeps his remnant. That's what I see in these verses. 
He's saying, look, I'm going to make a difference between the Israelites and the livestock of Egypt. I'm going to separate them. And when it came down to it, the livestock of the Egyptians died and not the Israelites. And I'm reminded that God is keeping his remnant Israel until the appointed time. We know this is to be true that God is not done with his Israelite children to this day. In Romans 11, Paul talks about this. He says in Romans 11, chapter 2, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 11, verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scriptures say of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed down the knee to Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul's bringing up that story when Elijah had to go hide in a mountain because he was fearful of this woman who was chasing him to kill him. And after the Lord was doing a great and mighty work through Elijah, he gets scared and goes and hides in the mountain, forgetting how great his God is. And he's saying, God, I'm all that's left. Everybody else has forsaken you. And God reminds him, hey, I've got 7,000 men who are still honoring me, Elijah. And he reminds him that there's a remnant and God has his remnant. It's this election of grace. God will keep us in his grace. God keeps his chosen and he separates the godly from the ungodly. And that's what he's using now by attacking the livestock. Look at verse eight, the next plague. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. Now, what's interesting about this sixth plague is that the furnaces that were there, Pharaoh had forced the Israelites to make brick with them. And then he took away the straw and it made it even harder. So they had to work a lot with these furnaces. But Moses took the ashes out of one of the furnaces, threw it up in the air, and boils started to break out on all of them. Now the Lord is now directly plaguing the Egyptians. Before it was indirectly, before he would be attacking 
the Nile River, the livestock. He would bring swarms of, of frogs and, and flies. But now he's directly attacking them with these boils. Now, the Egyptians, they worshipped an Egyptian god known as Imhotep, who was said to be the god of medicine. Perhaps you recognize that name. It was famous in the mummy. The Imhotep was the mummy guy. Imhotep was their chant. But here, God is showing them that all their medicines, they avail to nothing against the Lord's work. During the Great Tribulation, we see the same type of account happening. It's going to happen in the future. The boils. In Revelation 16, verse 1 through 2, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. See, God uses illnesses and times to be a plague, to be a, a chastening of his judgment. Now, what's interesting is that in that passage we just read in Revelation, this loathsome sore comes upon those who take the mark of the beast. And if you haven't discovered what the mark of the beast is yet, this is a, a mark that will go on your forehead or on the right hand. And this mark, Satan, his antichrist, is going to make everyone in the world take part of it. And without it, they won't be able to eat or sell or buy food. They, they won't be able to, to trade, to work. It's going to be required for everyone to have it. Now, by accepting that, you're going to know it's going to be a conscious decision what it is. You're, you're going to know that you are rejecting Jesus when, that, when this happens. So you're not going to accidentally take it right now. Lately, perhaps you've heard a lot of speculation on is the vaccine the mark of the beast? And rest assured, the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Um, is, are things happening in our world preparing us for that? Absolutely credit cards, uh, identification on, on everything, that, that's what it's going to be. It, that's what it could be used for by through some different technology. Or maybe perhaps it's just going to be a, a mark. We're not exactly sure, but rest assured that before you take that mark, you're going to have, as a believer, you're going to have that conscious decision to turn your back towards Jesus. And if you are a Christian, you don't even have to worry about this because you're not going to be there. But things to look and know about and warn our, our family members who are lost about. 
these sores now plaguing the Egyptians. In verse 11, it says, And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now, finally, after six plagues, the Lord is now hardening Pharaoh's heart. Previously, we were reading how Pharaoh would harden his heart, but now the Lord is hardening Pharaoh's heart. And at this point, Pharaoh is pretty much past the point of no return. He is denying the Lord to the point where the Lord leaves him now set in his ways confirms that position. Now, God, knowing all things, knowing future events that are going to take place, he has that ability to do that and be just in doing so. Because if he knows someone is going to reject him, he can just confirm that person as a rejecter and then use them to get his will done the way he seems fit. And if you have problems with the, the unfairness of God. Remember that God is all just. And if there is some problems, well, I mean, the, the next option is hell. But thank God he gives you the free will to not to make that, have to make that decision to go there. You can choose him. So, this rejection, though, of the Lord, it's taught about in the Bible. This is known as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about this. There's a point when you can reject the Holy Spirit so much, and because God knows all things, he already knows that you're going to deny him forever. He will confirm you in that position. In Mark chapter 3, Verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's something that we won't be forgiven of. Now, if you have this fear that, oh, have I committed that sin? If you have that fear, then I already know that you haven't committed it yet because you have that conviction. Somebody who's committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit won't care that they're denying Jesus. They won't care about hell coming their way. They're going to be set in their ways. Now, I can't tell who has committed that sin, so I'm going to preach the gospel to everyone, even people who you think possibly have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You want to be careful not to, to judge them in that position as lost and unsalvageable, unsavable. God can work miracles through people's lives. And sometimes it's those people who are so far gone who are the closest to getting saved. Again, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, 
we read, it says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Hebrews 10.29 says, How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? And in Hebrews 10.31 it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, there is that point when you just reject the Lord and you trample on the grace that God has given you. You make it cheap. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor, theologian from the 1800s and he converted many because of his, his teaching. It was said that he had this one famous preaching, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And it was said that he would walk up to the pulpit and have his little glasses and he would speak very meekly, timidly almost. And as he was preaching about sinners in the hands of of the living God, flocks of people would come forward at the end to receive the Lord because the power of the Holy Spirit moving through that man who was not shouting and screaming, but giving them the truth, they realized they were in need of a Savior. Perhaps you've ever asked yourself, or someone has asked you, or this has ever come to your mind, can you resist God's grace? Can you resist God's love? Is God's love irresistible? The Holy Spirit, if God is, is after you, if God is, wants you to be his, can you re reject it? Well, in Acts chapter 7, remember what Stephen said to the Pharisees? In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you actually, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 51. I want you guys to underline this verse in your Bible because it's important to understand. It's important to know that you can resist the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, it says, this is Stephen speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You see, Stephen recognized that the Pharisees, they were rejecting the Holy Spirit. They were crucifying Jesus. They were about to stone Stephen for his testimony of Jesus. 
and you recognize that it is possible to reject, reject God's love in your life. But may that not be said to be true of us. May we be open to the love of the Lord in our life. May we not be hard-hearted like Pharaoh. May our hearts be tender towards the Lord. Back in Exodus, look at verse 13. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. See, this is now the the message for Pharaoh. To let his people go, God is warning him, look, if I send my pestilence on your people, you guys are done. And he's reminding Pharaoh that his power, that Pharaoh's power was on borrowed time that the Lord had in reality placed him there and had given Pharaoh the authority. In Romans 13, one, it says, for there's no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So the Lord appoints the leaders of the world. The Lord appoints the president. These men who think that they are taking power for themselves, by themselves, they're wrong. Now, are there wicked leaders? Is Pharaoh a wicked leader? Absolutely. And does he have a free will? Yes, he does. But sovereignly, the Lord is able to move the hearts of men for his perfect will his divine plan. God is sovereign even over the powers of darkness. Remember Satan went to Jesus? We just read about this two Sundays ago. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't refute that Satan was saying that he could give him the kingdoms. Now, even though Satan was the ruler of this evil world, He was unable to cause even Jesus to stumble because Jesus in his divine nature, he couldn't falter. He couldn't sin. He was tempted, but without sin. And Jesus in his divine nature actually created Satan at the beginning of time. He created Lucifer as an angel, a beautiful angel. And I recognize that God will use the enemy to chasten, to punish, to test the hearts 
of mankind. To chasten the disobedient. Remember when the Lord called Jeremiah the prophet into ministry? He gave him the task of watching the nation of Israel be struck down by their enemies. That was Jeremiah's ministry. Jeremiah never saw a single convert to the Lord. That's so discouraging for for someone like me. You never saw a single convert to the Lord, yet you still went out there and preached. But Jeremiah was called by God. He was used by the Lord. In Jeremiah 1, verse 10, the Lord said to Jeremiah, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. You see, sometimes before God builds up, he must destroy and level the existing foundation. That's what he's doing here in our text. He's destroying the society that the Israelites were living in. And the Egyptian society is now coming to an end. It's crumbling away in front of everyone's eyes. And he's going to take the nation of Israel so that he can build them back up. But he used the nation of Egypt to bring Israel into captivity to test their hearts, to bring them down, destroy them. They were servants to hard taskmasters, crying out to God for 400 years, and the Lord is now delivering them because God keeps his remnant. Back in Exodus, verse 18, Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home and they shall die. Now, this is a very intense plague. These hailstones that are going to be coming down, wiping out the Egyptians. When you look at most records of the largest hailstones that have been recorded, they're usually around close to two pounds. And those coming down from the sky are lethal. One of the worst hailstorm ever recorded was in India. In Moradabad and Berehi, 246 people were killed after one hailstorm. 246 people. But I wonder how many were killed in Egypt. In verse 20, we read, it says, He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. 
Now, this is what's interesting right here, is not only are the Israelites listening to what Moses is saying, but now even the Egyptians are starting to listen to. You see, now they're starting to realize, okay, five plagues, natural disasters were coming upon us. Nah, maybe. But then after the sixth plague with the boil, or after the fifth plague, when now their skin was being attacked, they're like, okay, the God of Israel is alive and real. And so now when Moses comes and says, hey, there's going to be some heavy hail. Those who regarded the word of the Lord, they told their servants to take cover. Those who were saved were those who regarded the word of the Lord. Do, re, do you regard the Bible? Do you regard the Lord's word daily? We should. They've never seen anything like this before. They've never seen hail come down and wipe out their livestock, their homes. So they never believed that it would happen. Just like Noah building an ark. God told Noah, I'm going to bring a flood. People laughed at Noah. You're crazy, Noah. What are you talking about? Water's going to rise up. It's never rained. And they had never seen rain before. So they didn't believe. But the rains did come. In that same manner, people mock us today. Oh, my grandpa used to say Jesus is going to come back. Where's he at? Oh, where's Jesus isn't coming. These, these are fables and religious fantasy. The Bible isn't real. But they've never seen a rapture. And they've never seen Jesus come back to the earth on a white horse leading the armies of heaven but they will. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In verse 22, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire and darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Wow. Our God is an awesome God. Again, 
during the great tribulation, during the seventh bowl and the seventh trumpet, you're going to see hail coming down as God's judgment on this earth. In Revelation 16, verse 21, it says, And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone weighing about the, ta- the weight of a talent. Men blaspheme God because of the great plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Remember the plagues? Many of them, they mirror what we're going to see in the Great Tribulation, when you read it in the book of Revelation. Thank God, as believers, we won't have to endure that Great Tribulation. But notice that the people in the book of Revelation, they blasphemed God after this plague. Instead of turning and repenting to the Lord, their hearts were already already so hardened. Perhaps many of them had already received the mark of the beast set in their ways, rejecting the Lord. In verse 27 of Exodus, it says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So now again, Pharaoh seemingly has a change of heart. It's like, I can't take it anymore. Just go. But Moses is discerning. In verse 29, So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. And there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and barley were struck for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck for they are late crops. So here Moses is telling Pharaoh, look, Pharaoh, I don't believe your kindness that you're going to let us go out. There's still some of our crops left over, some of the late crops. You know, I've already seen you change your mind, Pharaoh. And then in verse 33, so Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased. And the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. You see, sometimes... Once we're in that good spot of we're not in a trial, we'll sin. We'll say, look at, see, God's not doing anything about it. God approves of my sin. But that's not the case. It's not the truth. The truth of the matter is 
that God wants you to repent of sin fully, completely. Now, perhaps Moses shouldn't have prayed for God to stop the hail, we might ask. If Moses was discerning, knowing that Pharaoh wasn't really going to change his heart, maybe just let God keep raining the hail. But that's wrong. Moses needed to obediently ask for God's mercy in the life of Pharaoh. The same way that we are to ask for God's grace and mercy to be in the life of our enemies, our family members, friends, they're not enemies, (laughs) but those who are enemies to the Lord. We can't give up on them. You give them to the Lord. You yourself, we, we can't save them. But we can pray for them. And when God opens that door to speak truth, we can speak truth. See, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As we look at this text, I'm reminded how God is now having to use the big guns on on Pharaoh. I'm reminded how in my own life, I, I experienced the Bible to be true when it says that we can either fall on the rock and be broken, the rock being Jesus, Or we can reject that and a giant stone will fall on us and crush us to a powder. And it's that idea that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, God will allow us to be broken and restore us versus rejecting the Lord and him having to chasten us with large trials that we are just completely destroyed. May we not say no time after time as Pharaoh is saying that. Bringing down all of the Egyptian idols with all of his plagues, the pestilence. I'm reminded, look at what COVID did to the world. The weekend that we went on the lockdown, sports stadiums closed, music Halls and music concerts were all done for. Movies, they all came to a stop. The malls were closed. Eventually, even the church doors were closed. And death spread throughout the entire world. A deadly virus. And I wonder, is God preparing us for his return? I believe he is. I believe that the disciples even asked Jesus in Matthew 24, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars See that you are not troubled, 
for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. In that word, beginning of sorrows, it can also be translated labor pains. In the same way that a woman has contractions and they get more and more violent and more frequent before this end result of the birth. In that same way, that's how humankind is going to experience tribulation. Hmm. It's kind of an interesting symbolism too when you look at the plagues that they're going through. You have nine plagues before the plague of the firstborn when the Lord sends the angel of death to take that firstborn. We have the Passover lamb. And these nine plagues getting worse and worse and more stronger I see a lot of symbolism in that. I see symbolism throughout the Bible of what God has done in the past and what he's going to do. And with this, I'm not dismayed. I'm not fearful. I know that God's in control. I know that we are his remnant. We are his chosen. There's a lot of things you could be doing right now that aren't studying the word of God that aren't growing in your relationship with the Lord. But for some reason, tonight you decided that you wanted to listen to a Bible study. That's because God has a plan and a purpose for your life, for the things that you're doing. This isn't just for some self-help that you can help you be a little, have a little bit more of a comfortable life. God desires that you would be his good pleasure, that you would live out the calling that he has for you individually, specially tailored for your gifts, for your mind, for your heart. May you walk in that this week. May you abandon idolatry, abandon fear, May you repent from sin. May you enjoy the freedom that God gives you to not sin. And may you grow in his grace daily, sharing it with other people. May you continue to allow your burdens to be placed on the cross of Jesus. May he be your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your love, your grace. We pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us new, Lord. If there's anyone, Lord, who is listening, Father, and they, they need to repent, they need to turn back to you, Father, lest they should harden their hearts. If that's you and you've hardened your heart and you want a soft heart, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you want to repent 
of your sins and leave them. Just pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I ask that you wash me by your son's blood. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me. I love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that's you and you'd like to talk with us, feel free to message us. Message us on Facebook. Send us a message on YouTube if you have our number. Go ahead and get a hold of us. But we love you. We're praying for you. And we'll see you Sunday morning. One more song. the Lord.